Okay, so welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan. And with us today is uh, Evan Rabin of uh, Premier Chess. Welcome, Evan. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here, and thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you. So today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about chess and strategies and, and implications, lessons, all these kinds of things related to chess, everything and anything related to chess. So um, first, let's begin with uh, how you discovered chess and how the first stories of uh, your love for chess. Great. So yeah, when I was in second grade, I started playing because my dad and brother taught me how. Uh, I soon after joined the chess program at my school, the Churchill School, uh, with Women's International Master Shanaz Kennedy, who's actually remained a good uh, friend and colleague. We actually ran uh, a tournament series together uh, last year and uh, basically never looked down. Um, you know, I, I, I too much after I learned how to move the pieces, I played uh, in my first tournament. A month after that, I went to the Nationals. Uh, and ever since then, it's you know pretty much been a big passion. I became national master uh, when I was 20. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've been uh, running a chess company now uh, for four years, uh, Premier Chess. And uh, yeah, we run programs in 80 schools, uh, a lot of different uh, companies, uh, a lot of different private lessons, uh, and of course now, uh, you know, a lot of different virtual programs. Great, great. So that kind of relates to my next question about, you know, teaching children chess. Uh, what age do you recommend uh, children start playing chess? Uh, so we actually teach students age three to 100 plus. Oh, wow. So m most three-year-olds are, are, are ready. Three-year-olds are ready? Great, great. And do you, you teach them the, the movements of normal chess, not like a variant, right? Uh, or do you uh, do variant or do you any variations? No, you just do the I mean, they chess, yeah. learn chess. Okay, um, good. Yeah, because yeah. I know sometimes people say, oh, you know, for three-year-olds to teach them variants, but I guess it's best sometimes to scaffold them right into the regular game. Yeah, thanks, thanks. So, um, yeah, so talk, talk a little bit more about the formation of the company. Tell us a little bit more about how what, what brought you into the deforming Premier Chess, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I worked at Oracle for three years, and I did Rapid7 uh, for a year, uh, selling data security, and yeah, had a lot of uh, sales uh, and enterprise sales experience, uh, which I enjoyed. Um, and then I decided that uh, basically I would try to sell what I love. Um, yeah. So um, you know, I've been doing that, and uh, honestly, in July of 2017, uh, it pretty much started uh, as an experiment, basically, mm. uh, to see, uh, you know, how much progress I could make, uh, and at the end of it, um, I was actually in 14 schools, and uh, yeah, had 10 instructors, you know, working for us, and uh, never looked out. Great, great. Great, great. Um, oh, it seems to be an echo. I think somehow another, um, let me see. Okay. I think it went away. Okay. So, um, yeah. So one thing I want to ask you about is some of the life lessons you learned from chess. Sorry, beginning that conversation. Uh, 
how your chess game play changed over the years and some of the lessons you learned over the years from beginning chess to uh, when you started playing chess to when you to today? Well, there's a lot of business and life lessons uh, that I've learned uh, through the game. Um, you know, just a couple of them have been, uh, you know, the value of knowing when to use your intuition uh, mm-hmm. and when to, uh, you know, have to actually think and, and calculate, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little bit easier actually, uh, you know, said than, than done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's being able to, you know, figure out, you know, whether this is a critical moment or not. Um, which, you know, sometimes is, uh, you know, actually not that easy uh, to, to do. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, that's just not, you know, on the chessboard, but it's, you know, truly at uh, all times, right? Because you want to uh, you know, make sure that you're constantly uh, making, uh, you know, the best decisions. Uh, that said, um, you know, there are also a lot of, you know, time pressure addicts who, uh, you know, always wants to actually make, you know, exactly like the best moves. So actually I saw an interview uh, two weeks ago with uh, Grandmaster Fabiano Carolana, uh, who's second in the world. And one of the things that he was uh, saying was how, uh, you know, you, you, you want to obviously come up with good moves and, and, and chess, but you don't necessarily even necessarily want to find, uh, you know, the, the, the cleanest win, right? Mm. You're just trying to, um, you know, find like a, a Nietzsche win. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as far as critical moments go, I know when I look at programs for chess, sometimes they give critical analysis of the game. And they'll be like, oh, game changer or exclamation point. And these kind of moments are things that the, the, the analysis has given as being like changing the rhythm of the game, I guess. And um, how, like how, and what do you think is the influence of computers on chess and how either a computer would play as opposed to a human being or, uh, and all this kind of stuff. There's a big topic right there, but that's like a, probably a large topic to talk about how, you know, on every level from playing on a program to computers to playing, you know, Deep Blue or something like that, how computers have changed the gameplay. Right. I mean, computers have been obviously a huge influence. Uh, people often ask me, uh, you know, who's the best chess player of all time? You know, is it Magnus Carlsen or is it, you know, someone like Bobby Fischer or someone, you know, like Hoppe Barca, you know, in the 1800s? The truth is, um, there's no real answer, right? Because it's, you know, a, a totally different game now. Um, you know, like, the truth is, right, if Fisher was to, you know, come today and, 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 and play, right, hypothetically, the truth is, yes, of, of course, he would actually get into uh, a lot of trouble, actually, um, because, uh, you know, he, he wouldn't know, like, the, like the openings. Um, you know, with a little bit of catch-up time, yeah, he could, uh, you know, probably catch up and, uh, you know, do pretty well. Um, but again, that's, you know, like kind of a long time from now. So yeah. um, so what's, what's the idea? I mean, the, the idea here, you know, is um, I always tell students, you know, with, with the right 
mindset, computers are good. Um, you know, you have to make sure that you're not, you know, completely relying on them. Um, my friend, uh, international master Mark Esserman, uh, you know, likes to talk about how some people will do what he likes to call cloud computing, where they'll, you know, literally look at an engine and they'll say, oh, this move is bad because the evaluation went from 0.2 to, you know, 0.6, mm. right? And the uh, evaluation, uh, you know, changed in a negative way uh, to you. Um, but really, I mean, for one, like the difference of 0.2 and 0.6 is actually I mean, meaningful, but not that that meaningful. And, uh, you know, the, the, the truth is, um, you know, they, 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 and, and they'll have no idea why, uh, you know, the evaluation is any different. So yeah. um, I guess what I'm saying for the most part is, like, yes, it, computers are a very, very, very good thing. Um, but you got to do it, you know, sort of in, in, in moderation, mm. right? So I tell students actually, you know, all the time, you know, yes, you should, uh, you know, go ahead and, you know, use computers. Um, but for instance, if you're going to, you know, analyze your game with computer, you should analyze your game first alone. Mm. Right? You know, only after that, you know, to, you know, sort of fact check. Um, you know, that's when you could go ahead and use your computer, right? And that's actually why, by the way, you know, when I teach and I have my instructors teach, I normally don't use the engine. I will occasionally put it on if I want to, right? I mean, this is all about truth today, right? So mm. it's, uh, you know, if, if I want to double check my work, you yeah. know, and, I, and it's a crazy position and you know, the truth is, like, you know, especially if it's the first time looking at a position, I don't know exactly what's going on. Um, so it's, you know, being a little bit okay with the unknown and, and something like the computer could, uh, you know, double check, uh, you know, all the, all, the, all the facts. Yeah, yeah. And um, one thing I'd be curious about when you talk a little bit about openings and kind of the standard openings and versus like non-traditional openings, like how many times do you think a game should start other than E4, like opening the king's pawn? You know, do you think a game should should ever start other than that? You know, like is there any is there any reason or rationale to start a game not commanding the middle of the board? You know. Sure, sure. So, yeah, um, ba basically, um, you know, actually what I told our adult rookie class last night, actually, because uh, someone actually pretty much asked that exact question, um, and, I, and I pretty much said that, uh, yes, I mean, every single player should basically start with E4 or, or, or D4. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're a little bit stronger, yes, you could dabble with uh, a couple different other uh, you know, lines, but yeah, I mean, m m most players, you know, and, and, and even top players, right, will play, you know, either E4 or D4, yeah. um, and then after that, you can figure out, you know, w w which is the best, um, but honestly, like, I, I tell all students, I mean, you could get to, you know, a pretty high level, actually, if you could just, you know, play E4 or D4, control the center, and, um, you know, 
control the center castle and develop. You know, yeah. you're going to be doing you know, pretty well. Yeah, good, good. And uh, talking a little bit about civic works or, uh, you know, um, ideas that change your game, uh, you talked a little bit about Every Master Was Once a Beginner by Irving Chernov. Chernev? Chernev? Yep. Yeah, Chernev, yeah. So tell us a little bit about how that work influenced you and how maybe change your play of the game or how did it what did it what influenced it have on you? Um yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I a lot of it is just confidence, right? Mm. Um, you know, every master was once a beginner. Um, you know, just right really shows us that uh, you know Every every lesson, every game that we play is, is really just practice for you know the next one. Mm. Um, you know, my friend Arena Crush is a strong grandmaster. She you know was talking a couple months ago about on a Facebook post about how every single last round you know could be challenging. You know, you're playing the last round. You know, all the money could be on the line. Um, you know, there could definitely be some pressure. Um, but the truth is, right, they're going to have many more last rounds. Um, so, you know, you don't want to think about it as, you know, all or nothing, but you want to think about it as practice, uh, you know, for the next game, for the next, like, tournament. So just, yeah, like, always remember that, uh, you know, th there's always someone better than you. Um, you know, and, and, and that's why, like, I also, you know, don't even think so strongly about like the words beginner, intermediate, advanced. Right? First of all, these words mean so many different things to so many different people. You know, I've had, you know, in, 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 in both ways, you know, I've had, uh, you know, people come to me and be like, oh, no, I can't do your beginner class because, you know, like I've been playing for a while. Right? And then that player, will, you know, won't even know all the rules. Mm. Uh, they won't even know, you know, how, the difference of, of, of stalemate and, and, and castling, and stalemate and checkmate, and they won't know all the rules about castling. Uh, you know, to the contrary, uh, you know, I'll get players, you know, that think that they're, you know, beginner, and they actually know like all of their basic opening principles. You know, mm. they're not hanging pieces. Um, you know, and, and 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 by the way, right? Like the truth is, I could pretty quickly know who's a beginner, who's not. Mm. You know, I did a fundraiser last night and, you know, when I asked someone, like, oh, like, what should you do in this position? They're like, oh, move the pawn that's, you know, on the left, second to the left. Right? Truth is, someone did tell me that yesterday. Right? I knew on the spot he was almost a complete beginner. Yeah. Right? Because he couldn't tell me, oh, G6. Yeah. And I, I knew exactly what he meant. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, uh, but at the same time, it's just, you know, realizing that, um, you know, everyone has, you know, potential. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, finding that uh, momentum um, and being confident, um, and, and you can get there, you know, so. Yeah, and also um, in regards to the uh, works or critical thinking skills, uh you know, I I, uh, I heard the quote that allegedly Bobby Fischer had given: "Never go queen for queen." Uh, what do you think about that quote? And do you think that's a a principle uh, 
to uh, to play by that you shouldn't sacrifice your queen in order to you know like you're getting another queen but you're sacrificing your queen. Uh, what do you think? Um. Yeah. I mean, for for one, I I think it's important to make a just dis- distinguishment here. Uh, you know, in fact, like yesterday, I, there was in our adult rookie class. You know, there was an example that we were talking about where they were trading knights. He said, yeah. "Oh, sacrifice a knight to get a knight back." That's not a sacrifice. Yeah, okay, that's one thing I want to make very clear, um, which is actually a very important, um, you know, difference. Um, a trade is not a sacrifice. Okay, yeah. a sacrifice is if I give you a knight and there's no way to get it back in return. Um, no, and and there has to be something there. Okay, so right, the, the, it, trade, sacrifice, and blunder. A lot of people will say like the same thing for those three things, but they're all very very different, right? A sacrifice is when I give you a knight and I don't get anything back. By material, uh, but I'm going to get some sort of attack or some sort of compensation. Yeah. Okay. A blunder is when I give that knight away and I didn't see it, or I did see it and I just didn't get enough compensation. Okay. And then a trade is when I take your knight and you're going to get a knight back. Mm. Right. Uh, I mean, look on on the whole. I mean, obviously, look. I guarantee you, if you look at a bunch of Fisher games, you're going to see a fair amount of trading queens. Uh, at the same time, you know, I think what he's really trying to get at uh, is actually a, a very common misconception among uh, beginners, uh, which is that all trades are good. Mm. Um, you know, people will, and then I'll ask students all the time, why do you make this trade? Oh, but it was a fair trade. Well, that doesn't mean it's good, mm. right? If I give you $5, $5 and you give me five $1 bills, you're not going to be exactly excited. Yeah. Uh, you know, or, you know, if you give me, you know, anything and I give it to you back, you know, and like the next hour, right, I'm not going to be that excited. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I think, oops. Oops. Um, I think that there's a element of like, you know, lower pieces, of course, if you, like, they, they were saying the difference between, like, sacrificing, like, or, or exchanging, like, if you get a, a bishop and a knight have about the same number of points, but a rook has five points, so if you were to lose a, a, a knight or a bishop for a rook, would you consider that, like, points-wise, how much do you consider the points as far as the game goes, and what element do points play in uh, in chess, some people don't even realize that you know, like you know, they calculate based on points. But uh, but what I never play a game where we're like calculating the points and figuring out, you know, um, how many points you've gained as opposed to checkmate game. Yeah, so that's you know another good point, right? Um, you know, at the end of the day, right, the only way to win a chess game is checkmate. Yeah, uh, which by the way is another. Again, talking about the truth, a very common misconception yeah. uh, about chess. Um, you know, people will think, oh, you capture the king, oh, you, you know, if you have more points, you win. Right? There's only one way to win a chess game, check me. Okay? Kings never get captured. Um, I, and that's something that I'm extremely strict about, uh, you know, in the beginning. Um, 
you know, so for instance, um, I'll often ask, what does checkmate mean? And they'll say, oh, it's when the king has nowhere to go. Right? But then I ask that in the very beginning of the game, is the king in checkmate? Right? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, there's, there's nowhere for the king to go. Yeah, and we get into the very beginning of the game, All right? So you know the, the, the yeah the king is you know blocked by all of his all of his pieces. Yeah, and so checkmate means the king is in check and there's no way to get out of check. That's it. Mm. If you give me any other definition, it's not correct. Mm. Right? Um, you know, and then people will say, oh, it's you know when the king is in danger and the king has nowhere to move. No, that's not true. There are three ways to get out of check. Capture, protect, run. Okay, so checkmate, that's literally the only thing it means. King is in check, no way to get out of check. Um, so going back to your question, right, material is a guideline, right? There was a very famous Paul Morphy versus the Duke of Brunswick game uh, in the Paris Opera House in 1858 that, you know, I would say is by far the most commonly taught uh, chess game uh, that you know people look at today, right? And Morphy sacrifices and whole a full queen to get checkmate. Um, so yes, I mean there are times that you know kids will be playing in a class and you know time will be up, so we'll just kind of quickly you know adjudicate the games and say, oh yeah, white's up, like you know a full queen here. Um, okay, white you know wins. Uh, but no, on, on the whole, right, it, it really is important to um, really drill into, you know, checkmate. Um, because, yeah, I mean, you, you see actually a lot of beginner games where, uh, you know, they get an easily winning position, but, you know, they don't know how to actually get checkmate. Um, and then they'll end up, you know, stalemating. Uh, by the way, the amount of adult beginners that I know who don't know the difference of, of checkmate and stalemate um is is pretty big actually mm, thank you thank you so also one of your questions one of the questions was about um you were talking a little bit about how you learned what experiences did you often reflect on their watershed moments in your own process and you talked about um what you learned from rabbi uh a rabbi that you knew um tell us a little bit about how that implications of uh him running a half marathon, um, mm. how that kind of how that kind of taught what that taught you. Yeah, so um, one of my rabbis, uh, Peretz Chaim from the Chabad of Brandeis, uh, has always actually been uh, a very big friend and and, and mentor, um, and he really lives by the idea of Ufaratsta. Uh, which is actually uh, a Jewish idea, but really not. Um, and it really just refers to uh, the ability to get outside of your comfort zone. Um, you know, in order to, you know, go back to your question from before about, uh, you know, being, a, you know, a beginner, uh, you know, to become a master, right? A lot of it is just, you know, saying as, you know, my good friend Michael Deutsch of Hands on Hoops, uh, you know, often says, you know, we can do it. You know, we, we, we can do it, um, and, and then you can't. Um, you know, and it's the same thing, you know, with, with winning a chess game, right? One thing that I tell students all the time is you always want to assume your opponent is 50 points higher rated than you. Um, 
no matter what their actual strength is. Right? That way, you always give them a little bit of respect, but not too much respect. Right? Where, you know, you're just kind of looking down, looking, you know, passively. Um, you know, I was just talking last night, uh, you know, to our adult rookie class about, you know, my friend Grandmaster Mark Paragua, who's actually, you know, on our team. And, you know, part of the reason Mark and I actually became friends was, you know, many years ago when we, you know, first played, um, you know, I turned down a draw against him. Uh, ended up losing the game, unfortunately. I you know, had a much better position. You know, in time pressure, I, I crumbled a little bit. Um, but you know what? He actually said, like, look, Evan, like, a lot of other masters would have, like, immediately taken the draw against me. Um, but you did. You know, you, you, you wanted to win. Um, so, yeah, I mean, confidence is, is, is huge. Um, and it's just, you know, the ability to be a little bit okay with the unknown. Um, you know, so Peretz was uh, a pretty uh, well-rounded, you know, athlete, uh, but he never like, ran. And, you know, he pretty much out of nowhere, you know, told everyone, like, oh, in, in five months I'm going to run a marathon uh, or half marathon. Uh, and everyone, and his wife, Connie included, is like, you're nuts. <laughs> like, good luck. <laughs> but you know what? He proved everyone wrong. He said, all right, I'm doing it. <laughs> he did. And like the next year and, and every year since, you know, he's brought a whole team of Brandeis students. You know, just, and a lot of them are like, oh, I don't run. No. And he said, no, I didn't run either. But now I do. <laughs> so. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, really good. I think it's like it shows that. You know, when we're uh, motivated, highly motivated, when we're kind of engaged in that kind of process, that, you know, anything is possible that we can kind of, you know, we can kind of train ourselves or we can, or even without training, kind of push ourselves out of our comfort zone and kind of, I think the moral of the story is push ourselves out of our comfort zone and how, um, how that can, that can lead, lead to fruit or lead to results. Um, so let's see. Uh, yeah, yeah. So... Talking a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, you talked a little bit about how uh, specific truths act as a way for your empowerment. You told me a little bit about how new ways to learn things and get exposed to new concepts. So what were some of the, like, what are some of the new approaches that you learned either in chess or in life or kind of connecting the two? We started to connect the two between chess and life and and how chess has influenced your decision-making in life. Um so talking a little bit about that in regards to, uh, you know, how chess kind of maybe opened up a new pathway for you in your thinking. Yeah, so um, I would say that, uh, you know, chess has been, you know, a great way to, you know, help me think, you know, off the board as well. Um, I would say probably, you know, the biggest one uh, was the ability to, uh, go ahead and try to um, think about my thought process. Um, so every single time we make a decision, uh, you know, on and off the board, um, really, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's being able to be a little bit more scientific about it, uh, you know, from analyzing the situation, writing down, 
what's happening, uh, being able to come up with a reason as to, you know, why my opponent did something, um, right? And again, this could be, you know, on the chessboard. This could be, you know, handling a personal relationship, a business matter. Uh, if I'm negotiating, you know, if someone tells me, you know, that the price is a little bit too high, right? You know, you're, you're not just taking it for face value, but you're, you know, coming up with why. You know, is it because it's actually too high? Is it because they just want to negotiate? You know, is it because they're comparing me and one of my competitors? You know, that's a little bit cheaper, right, et cetera. Right? It really is figuring out exactly why, right? And then from there, you're coming up with options, right? So on the chessboard, right, you're coming up with a couple different candidate moves, right? These are a couple different moves that you might pick from. And back in that negotiation example, you, know, you might just accept the lower price. You might, you know, put something in between. You might continue uh, explaining to them why, you know, your, your price is, you know, le legitimate. Uh, you know, you might do, you know, some other sort of, uh, you know, discount. Um, or, you know, you might just say, you know what, this is it. And, you know, I'm walking away. Um, you know, after that. You're, you know, analyzing each step uh, a little bit more and figuring out which one gives you the biggest return on investment. Um, and then Emmanuel Lasker uh, used to say, if you see a good move, you look for a better move. Uh, you know, make sure that there's not, you know, an option that for whatever reason, uh, you know, beforehand uh, you overlook. Okay? And then lastly, right, you want to do a blunder check. Right, make sure there's nothing uh, sort of silly, uh, you know, that you missed. Um, you know, and again, that's both, you know, on the just board and business, right? There's times that I've spent 20 minutes, you know, looking at a bunch of different variations. And then I realized that I missed something rather simple. Mm. Um, so, you know, and, and the same thing in business. You know, in 1985, Coke made a very big marketing blunder. Uh, when Pepsi came out with a sweeter product, they made their product sweeter um, and they didn't do their market research. You know, that's not what the clients wanted and Coke's sales plummeted, right? So pretty much, yeah, every single, you know, step of our thought process, uh, you know, is both on the board and, and off the board. Thank you. Thank you. So this is the Truth to Power Show and Radio for Brooklyn. We're here with Devin Rabin. Uh, who's talking a little bit about uh, who's a founder of Premier Chess um, that's based in Queens, uh, I believe in Forest Hills area or is it in the Forest uh, Hills so area? We, I mean, our office is on the Upper West Side, but we actually do programs uh, all around the country and beyond. Okay, yeah. um, every summer, we actually bring a team of high school and college students to teach in Tanzania. Um, and then, of course, we have virtual classes with students all around the world, so... Oh, great, great. So people can find out more by going to uh, premierchess.com, is that right? Or Yeah, if you go to premierchess.com, um, you could also uh, email me at evan at premierchess.com, uh, call 917-776-1306, um, or book a time on my calendar via calendly.com slash premierchess, and would love to hear from you. Great, great. 
So we're talking a little bit about some of the lessons. We talked a little bit rather about some of the lessons you learned about uh, critical moments, about uh, decision points, if you will, uh, kind of checking the checking your thinking process. Um, you know, kind of the lessons you learned from coming outside of your comfort zone. Uh, all these kinds of different lessons we learned over the course of the past half hour. Um, so now we're going to be continuing on for about a little bit longer, um, talking a little bit about the passionate uh, side of chess and how. Uh, also, I, I wonder about like when the different kinds, different modalities of chess, when you go into the park and such, you're talking a little bit about this, about time pressure addicts and all this kind of thing, like how your gameplay changes if you ever have played uh, people in those in those parks who are very much, you know, the five minute game and very much time pressured and uh, and how your gameplay may change in speed chess as opposed to uh, a 20 minute game or a more casual game of chess, how, how your gameplay might, your strategies or tactics might completely be different. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I definitely played in all the parks in New York, you know, from, you know, Washington square to, um, to, uh, Bryan Park, McDonald Park and Queens. Um, yeah, all, all over the city. Um, I've also, you know, played many of Blitz Chess, you know, in, in DuPont Circle and in, in D.C., Harvard Square, uh, you know, Boston, uh, Park in Toronto before. So, yeah, like all, all, all over. Um, you know, for one, it, you know, look, it, a lot of people always ask me, you know, like, dude, do you beat those, like, hustlers, uh, you know, in, 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 the, in the park? Um, you know, look, I, I, I do sometimes. Um, you know, it's not like my biggest focus, uh, you know, by any means, but, um, at the same time, it does, um, certainly, uh, help, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, um, basically, um, you know, look, a, a lot of it really is just keeping up, you know, steam and keeping up, uh, momentum and making sure that, uh, you know, look, there could obviously be a lot of distractions, you know, in the park with, you know, people and spectators and you know, just other random people around. Um, so, yeah, we, we really do try to, uh, you know, just um, not, basically not, not let other people, like, distract you. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying basically that you use the same, same similar tactics that you would in a normal game, except that you're just, like, focusing on... You know, not being distracted, so you're keeping your game tight or whatever it is. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of getting from that, right? Would you say that's, that's accurate? Uh, yes. Okay, cool, cool. All right, so uh, talking a little bit about teaching, we're talking to teaching and uh, students. Um, we talked a little bit about kind of common misconceptions versus things that you've coached people out of, like, um, but we can go a little deeper into that. Um, how you know how you you mentioned a little bit of the distinguishing factors between a beginner and intermediate or advanced player. Um, tell us a little bit more about some some of the misconceptions that you think uh, uh, not really common but uncommon misconceptions you think uh, because we mentioned a little bit of difference in stalemate and and checkmate for example, um, and we mentioned a little bit about uh, kind of the notation, chess notation, the importance of 
learning chess notation so that then you can speak a little bit more uh, eloquently about the game. Uh, but any other things come to mind that are misconceptions or or mis, uh, misguided ideas about chess that you'd like to correct? Well, the, the, there's a lot of them. Um, you know, and by the way, I do want to thank Queen's Gambit for, uh, you know, really bringing chess a lot more into, uh, you know, the radar of yeah. most people and, uh, you know, really making it so, um, you know, it, it's not something that, uh, you know, is something that is, um, you know, so much of a niche. Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, a couple months ago when I used to go to networking events, you know, and I said, oh, I run a chess company. You know, everyone was like, oh, I never heard of someone, you know, who, who did that. Uh-huh. You know, now in Gambit, you know, it, it's the opposite. You know, people are, you know, actually coming to us. Um, but, uh, you know, because of that, um, you know, yeah, I mean, people are, you know, yes, asking like, you know, a lot of like, you know, you know, misconception types of, of, of questions, right? I mean, you know, one, for instance, like one of the biggest ones that I get um, you know, it's, it's too late to play chess if you're an adult. You know, oh, I wish I played chess, you know, as a kid. Um, but the truth is, a, a bulk of our uh, people in our virtual group classes are adults. Um, you know, we have to do a lot of corporate classes. You know, on the 28th, we're actually doing a big uh, workshop for, you know, Google software engineers, you know, many of which are, are beginners. Right? So, that's definitely one, you know, misconception, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, there are some more relatively advanced rules in chess that a lot of adults don't know about, uh, you know, for instance, there's en passant, you know, which is a special, uh, you know, pawn capture, um, that a lot of adult players don't know about. In fact, I was talking to, uh, my friend, Mike Klein, who's the chief of, chess officer of chess.com and uh, he was explaining how like they actually get like literally a bunch of emails like every single week uh, you know thinking that there's like a bug in the system because oh, they didn't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah I mean, that, that, I mean that, that, there's a lot of misconceptions yeah thank you thank you so um, you're talking a little bit about, uh, you know, as far as your most valuable failure goes, um, I think your answer was about uh, tournament games. And now the, the, the kind of like uh, pigeonhole, I have another question after this, but tell us a little bit about what has been a, a valuable f- failure. And then we can talk a little bit about whether the value of players to going into these tournaments and what and what stage do you think that they should they should make the decision to to enroll in some tournament games or whatever it is, um, you know, kind of uh, and and first first going into kind of some valuable things and how people can learn from losing a game of chess. Uh, yeah. So as I told you earlier, you know, when I was in second grade, I played my first tournament too much after I learned how to move the pieces. You know, a month after that, I was at the Nationals. Um, So I tell everyone else the same thing. Um, There's definitely no need to wait. Um, It's silly. Um, So, you know, you really need to constantly 
um, just move forward and, you know, just continue to um, improve, mm. you know, and, and if you do, then, uh, you know, it's, it's worth it. So, yeah, I know a lot of students who, you know, are always, uh, you know, hesitated to, uh, you know, go to tournaments and make mistakes and, you know, all of that. But, um, you know, if you don't go, then you're not going to learn. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, um, now let's talk a little bit more about, you know, um, Queen's Gambit. I remember I followed a little bit of your feed from uh, Facebook, and you have a feed on Facebook, you have a feed on uh, various platforms, social media platforms. And you're mentioning that women have started getting more into chess uh, statistically uh, across the board, but also in your company uh, because of Queen's Gambit, because of the TV show Queen's Gambit, Netflix show Queen, T- Queen's Gambit. So uh, tell us, like, now, when when they approach uh, tell us a little bit more about that, about how, you know, uh, is there is there any kind of difference? Like, well, how do you have that? How's that worked out? And and, and encouraging women to play chess uh, kind of a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it, look, it, it's been absolutely tremendous. You know, we were actually quoted in The New York Times. Um, my friend Della McLean a couple weeks ago about, uh, you know, the impact of, of Queen's Gambit uh, on our business. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we've actually had uh, a lot of inspirational women on our podcast, uh, soundcloud.com slash premier chess, uh, about women in chess. Um, you know, for instance, Grandmaster Susan Polgar, uh, women's Grandmaster Jen Shahadi, um, and several others as well. Uh, you know, who have been on to, you know, share about their experiences. Um, and a lot of it just comes to, you know, breaking down the stereotypes. You know, chess is not, you know, just a, a game for, you know, men. Uh, you know, it's something that, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously equally, if not more, you know, good for, you know, women. Um, and people are, you know, running a lot more, you know, girls' tournaments, uh, my friend Jason Bowie of the Philadelphia Chess Society uh, is doing a great initiative where he's uh, you know, building girls' rooms uh, at, at tournaments uh, where they just, you know, have a place to, you know, go hang out, you know, themselves and, you know, inspire each other. Um, you know, there's also a common debate, you know, whether there should be women's tournaments or, you know, women's uh, titles. Um, but, uh, look, the short answer is yes, there should be, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a motivator. Um, my friend Steve Emmett, you know, recently, uh, in the last couple of years, basically started a whole new trend with mixed doubles prizes, uh, you know, where a guy and a girl could be, you know, on a team and, uh, you know, actually, uh, you know, get bonus prizes, um, you know, as a, as, a, as a woman and men. So, um, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of creative ways that, uh, you know, we've gotten a lot more, uh, you know, women to, uh, to come to tournaments. Great, great. And do you, what do you think about four-way chess? Uh, do you advocate for it or do you feel it's uh, kind of gimmicky or what is your opinion on it? Okay, say that one more time. Uh, four-way chess. Do you do advocate oh, yeah, for it? Or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've never played it. Um, you know, there are a couple 
uh, streamers on Twitch that uh, do play. Um, like this guy Tom Marill, for instance. Actually, his Twitch handle is Four Way uh, Chess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, n- I've never uh, you know been involved myself. Okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah, there's I actually it's kind of one of the ways in for me at least like to really get a passionate because it's it's fun. It's really interesting. Like you get to play either teams or or one or for uh, everyone for himself, and then uh, it's kind of very like uh, you know for people who play chess is a little bit of high to see the the board play out that way. So it's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So let me just give a couple quick announcements and then we can continue the conversation. Uh, so this is Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Uh, we encourage people to donate to help us stay on the air. Uh, we are a good company that helps uh, promote com- community voices. Um, we're sponsored in part by uh, City Running Tours. If you live in New York City and run for either fun or exercise, here's a fun way to learn something about the community which what you're getting your workout in. City Running Tours now offering neighborhood running tours uh, designed with locals in mind. New York City takes pride in diversity as character of its neighborhoods. And these New York Running Tours are open to opportunity to learn the history of a new neighborhood and get personal recommendations from your guide. Choose the tours of 23 neighborhoods including East Village, Upper West Side, Bushwick, Long Island City, and Roosevelt Island. For more information about running tours and see those neighborhoods, the full tour schedule, check their website at cityrunningtours.com slash New York City. Check out a live tour every Saturday at 10 a.m. on Instagram.com slash cityrunningtours. Um, also, if you're listening to this, this broadcast on the computer, free yourself up by listening on the iPhone or Android. Uh, the apps, just search for Ready for Brooklyn on the uh, app store, in the app store. Um, what else do I have here? Let's see. Um, yeah, that's about it, and that's a bit for my 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 uh my announcements. Um, so now returning to my questions. Um, let's see. What else? What else is coming up for you as far as like? Let's see. Um, we talked a little bit about uh teaching. When you teach uh, or share a principal discipline with others, what do you hope the listener will receive from you? Uh, so the question of like, uh, what do you hope students will get in a lesson? Um, you know, improving their thinking and so forth. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that, about how, you know, when, when, when the different levels at which uh, a student can approach uh, your business to figure out what's the best level for them. We talked a little bit about that, about determining whether or not they're beginner, intermediate, or advanced. Uh, if you could expand a little bit on that answer about how the, what what's the first step uh, is is determining their skill level or what? Um, I mean, really, like, I mean, I yeah, I get that question a lot. I'm, I mean, look, pretty much if they've never played a tournament before. Uh, you know, they're a beginner uh, for the most part, and unless they played a lot, a lot uh, online. Um, but yeah, you know, really, um, you know, the, but also, I mean, you know, for if any reason, uh, you know, they're another level or class is too easy or hard for them, you know, we'll, we'll make a switch. Uh, and we also do private lessons that are, you know, fully uh, customizable, uh, you know, as well. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, not too much of a point to uh, you know get too stressed about uh, you know what level you are. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. exactly. Or everything is you know also growing too. You know, I have uh, you know like look where for instance I'm not going to get into our pricing because it's also very customizable. Um, and yeah, in fact, we always uh, you know make it a point to. Um, you know, yeah, tailor everything to everyone. But, you know, in general, we're not the cheapest player around. Um, that's just true. So, um, you know, I've had people say, oh, uh, you know, like, you know, we, we, we don't need, you know, someone of, of your, you know, stature, uh, you know, because my, you know, kid is, you know, five and, you know, he's a beginner. Um, you know, he just needs someone for like fun. Well, the truth is, right, you know, we have a lot of people in our programming uh, that will, uh, you know, pretty, pretty quickly, um, pretty, pretty quickly, you know, become actually like, you know, pretty advanced. So, um, you know, you, you are what you are now, but that's not what you are like a little bit down the road. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you. Um, so let's see. So now also we're talking a little bit about the, as we start to end, uh, you know, the truth to power and how we can kind of, uh, you know, understand, uh, truth to power in relationship to chess, how, you know, uh, enabling others to, uh, I believe you mentioned about your alma mater, uh, truth even onto its most innermost parts. Tell us a little bit more about that. If we can end with that, uh, what that meaning of that uh, slogan is, Brandeis' slogan for you. Yep, so I am a alumni of Brandeis. I graduated there in 2012. And I really do believe, uh, you know, in the alma mater, um, you know, which really just means... Um, to be able to really bring truth into, uh, you know, everything that you, you do. Um, you know, I, I really try to, uh, you know, constantly, um, you know, make sure that, you know, being, you know, as transparent, uh, you know, as possible, uh, and, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, we constantly, um, you know, go, uh, you know, for, for, for the best. Um, you know, by the way, this is not, uh, you know, official definition. This is, you know, what, what, what I think, uh, you know, it is. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it's constantly, uh, you know, also, um, you know, look, look, looking for that truth, uh, you know, in everything that we do. Um, you know, and, and, and by the way, it's, you know, often, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, you know, I, I was explaining to someone the other day how, uh, you know, in a way it's a little bit crazy that you would say that you would uh, potentially, as a judge, uh, you know, convict someone of murder, uh, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. Right? Well, what? There's a little bit of doubt and you're, you know, giving someone, uh, you know, life in, in jail, um, you know, could say the murder and there's a little bit of doubt. Um, you know, on one hand, it's a little crazy, you know, how can you make a decision with like a little bit of doubt? Um, but on the other hand, you know, just scientifically, like there's no way, you know, there's 
ever going to be like literally 100% proof, right? It's always going to be, you know, 99.8%, let's say. Um, so there's always that, you know, reasonable doubt. But yeah, it is important to constantly, uh, you know, think about um, how you could, um, you know, get the closest as possible to the truth. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So, um, yeah, so you mentioned Premier Chess. We're going to premierchess.com. Uh, you have mentioned a Twitch account, so you can give that handle again. Sorry, it was twitch.com slash Premier Chess, or was there another? You. Um, yes, yeah, so, um, yeah, so it's twitch.tv slash Premier Chess. Uh, we definitely love to. Uh, see you on there. We do have a lot of live commentary uh, and analysis uh, and lessons uh, on on there. Great, great. Thank you. So um, as we start to end, uh, I'll just quickly give a shout out to, uh, again, this is the Truth to Power show, Ready for Brooklyn. We are every Monday at 8 a.m. Maybe we'll end with a song. Uh, give the last few minutes to a song. I'll pull something up. Meanwhile, you could uh, speak a little bit about, um, yeah, yeah. So, what else coming to mind as far as like uh, last last thoughts, final thoughts? Um, yeah. Well, I just wanted to really thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to come today. Uh, you know, on Martin Luther King Day. Um, you know, just a little bit about, you know, I guess the inspiration of, you know, Martin Luther King, uh, you know, is that we're all here together. You know, we're all fighting for, you know, the truth, uh, you know, a greater good. Uh, last year on MLK Day, I was actually with uh, my dear friends, Rabbi Le Levy Welton and Reverend Gregory Livingston uh, on a unity march in City Hall. Uh, actually, one of my former co-workers from Oracle, uh, Christine Lassard, was with us as well. And, uh, you know, actually, it was just an amazing experience. You know, when my friend, uh, Levy Welton, originally said, oh, I'm doing this march with a reverend, um, you know, I, I thought it was really cool. I was also really, really surprised. Um, and, you know, I, I want to say it, it was actually a straight-up, uh, you know, amazing uh, experience. And, uh, you know, we've been, uh, you know, very good friends, uh, you know, ever since. Um, Gregory and, and Levy were actually together on my podcast uh, a couple months ago. Um, you know, and, and a lot of it was just, you know, an inspiration that, you know, if we all come together, uh, you know, we could do a lot. Um, so, yeah, this uh, MLK Day is going to be different. I'm actually starting our uh, MLK Day uh, camp uh, virtually uh, in five minutes, actually. Uh, but, um, you know, in a way, it's the same concept. You know, we have people coming together from uh, all around the country. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll end with a little jazzy tunes from R. Blakely and the Jazz Messengers, uh, one by one, uh, from the uh, Ugutsu soundtrack or Zuzu uh, album so thanks so much for being here and we'll go out with some, some music thank you thank you thank you